The Money Show. With Bruce Whitfield on 702. 702. Our good friend David Shapiro at Sassfin's had his abacus out and he's been looking at the way in which the JSE has been in free fall this week. We're down very sharply on the year, particularly if you look at it in dollar terms. We're down 4% in rand so far this year, but because the dollar has strengthened as much as it has against the rand, we're down about 14, 15% in dollar terms so far this year. And that's how severe the uh, negative performance of the JSE has been. Pick up on that with David Peacock in a bit. Well, the Tiger Brands chief executive has become the second top flight boss of a consumer goods business to be fired by his board inside of a month. The first was Peter Boone at Pick and Pay. Today, Noel Doyle at Tiger Brands. The board deciding a new management team is required. Business has seen some volume declines in its core business. The economy, of course, weak and faltering. Management teams are paid the big bucks. They're paid huge bucks. Their job is to adapt and to change and to be flexible and to manage the environment. And if they don't, then new blood is brought in. Andrew Woodburn, Managing Director at Amrop Woodburn Man. You know, times are tough when chief executives are losing their jobs. Andrew Woodburn, good evening. Good evening to you, Bruce, and the listeners. Absolutely. I mean, this is not the first and it won't be the last. So, you know, are these surprises? Well, you might say at an individual level they could be. But the real question I think I hear you ask, Bruce, is is there a pattern? So I just cast my mind back a little bit. The two you've mentioned, of course, Ryan Noach at Discovery, Stephen Van Collar and his CFO at EOH, Tertius from PepsiCo, Eric at Nampak. Shall I continue is the question. No, no, so exactly. And, say, I mean, well, it, it depends how far back you want to go, I suppose. But, I mean, do you see a pattern and are the patterns related? Well, the first thing we always do is look at the reason the company gives. And, of course, you and I both know there are a number of reasons, each different, each personal, and so on. But if we then ask ourselves, what's the pattern, is the question. And maybe the answers are, is it age, retirement, is it transformation, BEE, is it poor performance, is it immigration, is it stress? But interestingly enough, Forbes just released a study literally a week ago in the U.S. about saying that 1,400 CEOs had resigned in the U.S. between January and September. And they postulate, is this just the late arrival of great resignation at C-suite level? How do you think about that, Bruce? Yeah, again, it's. Uh, I mean, uh, the environment is tough, and in a high inflation environment, it makes it really difficult to grow your profit margins um, because you've got consumers pushing back on one side, you've got your input costs on the other side, and that's where companies like Tiger Brands are very vulnerable, and that's where Pick and Pay is very vulnerable when you're trying to compete on price everywhere, and your competitors are doing it better than you, perhaps, and uh, particularly in the case of Pick and Pay, um, you are, you know, you, you end up fighting a price war, and a price war everybody loses, and and, and boards get very bored of that quite quickly. Absolutely. But I think there's a bigger picture going on here. So I'm going to let you and a few of our listeners, not many, into a little secret. Ooh, okay. In 2019, that's before the mighty COVID arrived, <laughs> there were more than five group CEOs in this country that personally told me in confidence they were going to resign or retire in 2020. That's 2019. We all know what happened in 2020. Small little black swan called COVID arrived, and guess what? Not a single one of them resigned or retired. So my hypothesis is really that these individuals were then tasked with keeping those companies afloat through the unknown, COVID, and as things begin to settle back 
into the market environment you've reflected on, tough, let's call it almost recessionary, if not recessionary. You'll remember that in 2019, they had just endured nine plus years of Zuma. Yep. These individuals, I believe, are at a maximum stretch of both stress, difficulty in results, market conditions, and in fact, they had wanted to exit around the 2020 year, call that uh, you know a turn of the decade set of decisions. They stayed on at the behest of the boards and shareholders, and so I would hazard, uh, I would I would post a guess that I think we haven't even seen 50% yet of the senior CEO and C-suite resignations that we're going to see between mid-year this year and post-election next year. And I look at the two recent appointments and two uh, the, the replacements for both uh, Peter Boone and uh, today announced for Noel Doyle are two very capable and two very talented people. Uh, but these are two people who have had remarkable careers of their own and could be, if they had hobbies, if they had time for hobbies when they were working, they may have hobbies and uh, as they got a bit older, have chosen to come back into the fray of the workplace. Sean Summers at 70 um, and Char Clear, um, who was up until 2021 the chief executive at Premier Foods. I don't know how old Chart is, but he's taking just a 26-month contract to uh, while the company looks for a new chief executive. Rather than finding new blood and finding new energy from either within their own companies or from, you know, rivals or whatever the case might be, these guys are going for, you know, real long-term experience. The boards are, are frightened, it would seem, to appoint new blood. They are, and I would add two other key contributors to this pattern. The first is, as you and I have discussed, Bruce, on previous shows, that in fact, I believe proper succession processes in these businesses have been delegated down to a list at the NOMCO level. And when push comes to shove, the list doesn't deliver. Secondly, we are now truly seeing the brain drain version two in action with the socio-political criteria of our country indicating that more mid-level and junior executives are leaving. And so the pool to select your next CEO is slimming down and therefore the board is inclined to look to a tried and trusted long hauler who might not sign up indefinitely, but they feel can really do the heavy lifting, as I've said in particular, to post-election 2024. Thank you, Andrew Woodburn, Managing Director at Amrop Woodburn Man. It's it's, it's a tragic reality of South Africa that we do, when we get close to elections, people stop thinking and just go into survival mode. And it's such a tragic waste of time. I mean, I just wish the stakes weren't so high in our elections. It shouldn't matter which political party is in charge. But unfortunately in South Africa, particularly with the sort of previews that we're seeing coming through from people like Franz Krenier and people like the the Brenthurst Foundation, who both put the ANC's uh, best case scenario between 41 and 45%, best case scenario for the ANC. Um, And that makes the ANC desperate and it makes it become increasingly um, uh, provocative and uh, opposition parties become brave and more provocative uh, and you and I as voters are going, okay, so who do who, who do we vote for? I'm looking forward to seeing Adrian Basson and Juanita Hunter's new book. Um, it's only coming, um, a couple of people have got copies um, but it's coming out next week um, and they also have been doing a lot of in-depth work on this and I wouldn't be surprised if their numbers are there or thereabouts 
pointing to what will be very tenuous coalitions into the future. The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield is brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. APSA CIB proudly brings you the Africa Financial Markets Index. APSA is a registered FSP. I was treated to a wonderful nerdy insight from Bits University this week, and I thought I really should share it with you. Dr. Karen Smith is a senior lecturer at the Bits School of Geosciences. And what do we learn, Karen, from the super deep diamonds formed probably as much as 650 years ago that are found in places like Brazil and found in places like Africa that have such strong similarities it teaches us very important things about our our history and our past many, many millions of years ago from the days of Gondwana land when all the continents were connected together. Um, hi, good evening. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Um, so I thought I'd just start with a, just a brief introduction, just um, where diamonds are actually forming. Yeah, good idea. Uh, yes. Good yeah, idea. so the majority of diamonds that we see at the Earth's surface and that we wear... Um, as jewelry, as engagement rings or earrings, these diamonds form um, around 150 to 200 kilometers deep below the very oldest continents of Earth. So here in South Africa, we have a lot of diamond mining um, and a lot of diamonds. Um, And this is because South Africa is on a very old continent known as the Carpval Craton. And so diamonds are forming around 150 to 200 about 150 to 200 kilometers below our feet um, in an area called uh, the lithosphere. Um, and so the study that we did was on diamonds that come from much, much deeper. So they're much more rare and they come from around 400 to 600 kilometers deep. So they're sampling a portion of the deep earth that we don't really ever have direct access to. We only have access to these diamonds and other samples from, from this very deep part of the earth um, through diamond mining. And um, mines are able to, um, um, to extract these diamonds because very deep-seated volcanic eruptions have brought them up to the surface. <laughs> Right. That explains that. Explains that. But these diamonds, the, the deep, 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 deep diamonds, are fundamentally different then from the, the, the shallower, dare I call them that, diamonds, the stuff that we see sparkling in, on people's fingers and ears. Exactly. Um, so these form through very different mechanisms. And so we wanted to, um, to date these diamonds to understand how old they are and how they relate to the much younger diamonds that we see much more commonly. So the shallower diamonds, form billions of years ago, um, up to around 3.5 billion years ago. Whereas these uh, much deeper diamonds, we had no idea how old they were until the study. Um, And so the study was the first study to definitively date these diamonds. um, And we found them to be much younger. So we found them to have formed around 650 million years ago to 400 million years ago. Um, So that may seem... um, like a very long time ago, but in geological time, that is actually um, a very short space of time. But what are we learning that is new, Karen, from these diamonds, from these deep, deep diamonds, from the depths of the the earth um, that I would never have thought that we'd ever have access to these things? What do they tell us geologically about our history? So um, what these diamonds have shown us is um, a new mechanism for continent formation. Um, And so... um, 
for the evolution of life to take place and for Earth to be a habitable planet, we need continents. And geologists have tried to piece together how the very oldest, oldest continents have formed and how they're able to grow and remain stable um, in order for Earth to be a habitable planet, unlike many of the other planets in our solar system. Um, and so what these diamonds showed us was a new mechanism for continental growth, um, a mechanism that um, we hadn't previously known to have existed. Um, and so this showed us that these very um, deep diamonds um, are coming up through mantle convection and accreting and being part of continent formation, which is actually a, a shallower process. Continent formation is only up, up to about 200 kilometers. So these super deep diamonds told us something about how the oldest continents are forming in a way that we didn't think was possible because they're originating from much greater depth um, than the continents are, um, than the continents are forming. Um, and so we were very excited by uh, by this finding because it was very unexpected. Um, and so now we know um, that diamonds are the perfect time capsules because they can tell us so much about. Um, the, the evolution um, of, of Earth um, and a lot of different processes like subduction, continent formation, um, but then also um, about very rare minerals that yeah. occur deep in the Earth that we're not able to access in any other way. It's fascinating. It really is, Karen. Thank you. And I suppose it gives new impetus to the world's oldest advertising payoff line. A diamond is indeed forever, it would seem. Thank you, Dr. Karen Smith, who's with the Witz School of Geosciences, where she's a senior lecturer. The Money Show. The Markets. What a terrible day it was for, well, it's been a terrible week for markets, but what a terrible day particularly for markets. Just for example, the oil price. Let's have a look at that quickly. Oil price is up $10 a barrel, 12% since the war between Hamas and Israel erupted on the 7th of October. We're back around the level of $95 a barrel, and it's happened very, very quickly. And with fears of escalation, last weekend we anticipated there may be some ground activity by Israel into uh, into the Gaza Strip. It didn't happen. Once again, we're seeing a, a formations of tanks on the border, um, and it could very well happen. And those fears of escalation and uh, supply disruption are growing. And even though the U.S. has lifted sanctions on Venezuela, which has been um, development in the oil world because Venezuela has got the world's richest deposits or richest reserves of oil. It hasn't weakened prices one little bit. Um, and so, yeah, energy inflation certainly is a bugbear for all of us. And you've just got to look at the cost of, of fuel at the moment and you've got to look at the projections, the potential projections for fuel. We're expecting a price cut coming um, in November. But at this rate and with the oil price doing what it is and the pressure, upward pressure on the oil price, I wonder if that price cut isn't in a bit of danger. Sorry, George. 702. Bruce is on the money show. There we go. Sorry, that was my fault. That we've already done the jingle and everybody's moved on except me. Uh, David Peacock, who is a portfolio manager at Sunland Private Wealth, he's with us this evening. And David Shapiro at Sassman posted uh, a couple of numbers on social media earlier today, David. And he was saying, well, year on year, 
Uh, well, so for the year so far, we're down 4%. And that really upset me because by April this year, we were up 11 or 12%. And I was beginning to feel like um, I, I may have a retirement one day. And suddenly we're down 4%. And I'm grumpy about that. But then he posted another line, which made me even grumpier. And he said, we're down 15% in dollar terms. It's horrible, David Peacock. Save me from myself. <laughs> uh, Bruce, uh, I think we're on the same boat here. And and, uh, and it's leaking. Know, da- 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 yeah, David Shapiro, he's usually quite a cheerful guy. So I'm not yeah. sure why he, he's turned so negative. But I mean... No, he's not turned negative. He's just stating facts. <laughs> and the facts are the facts. You can't deny them. So, so it, it is a, a sad situation. And, and unfortunately... In, in a number of respects, if, if you look at what's happened in South Africa, uh, in terms of, for example, things like grey listing, uh, the weakness of the rand, uh, the, the lack of tradability. You know, if you look at the tradability of our market lately, you know, yesterday we did about 13 billion, which is, is more or less what we used to do on a, you know, the, the, the evening before Christmas. So unfortunately, you know, our, our market has been under pressure for quite some time and and ultimately in, in a fair respect uh, commodities plays a, a fairly significant role there and uh, you know you've seen these commodity prices under pressure for for some time now so you know Bruce the, I think the most frustrating thing is is that and and having spoken to you sort of continually over over the year is that it's just a slow bleed and, yeah. and I think that's the most frustrating. It's not a case of, you know, well, there's a crisis in the world or a, or a, a epidemic or a pandemic. The market knocks off eight or ten percent, settles down, and and then off we go. And I would say to you that, you know, until we get clearer view from the Fed in terms of their November uh, meeting, and and what Jerome Powell was was talking about last night, he's he's saying, well, you know, maybe we do need. Uh, you know, uh, rates a little bit higher, but ultimately rates need to stay at these sort of levels uh, for longer. And if that's the case, then that's going to put pressure on corporate earnings. It's going to put pressure on consumers. If you look at uh, the levels of debts of of Americans and and the number of of Americans that have full-time, have two jobs full-time, you know, clearly the consumer is, is, is where the, the pain is going to be felt and, and ultimately that will feed through to corporates. Uh, and and already domestically, sorry, David, I mean, you've, you've got such a wonderful yeah. segue into the Tiger Brand story today. Today, at one stage, Tiger Brand share price was up as much as 16%. It reported a decline in earnings. It reported that its margins are being compressed. Yes, its volumes are good, but its margins are being compressed. Oh, and by the way, the chief executive is leaving and we've got a guy from a former, uh, we've got a, a former CEO of a competitor to come and help steady the ship so that we can find a, a full-time successor, you know, more than two years away. But um, yeah. that is being felt in the real world, that pain that you refer to. Absolutely, Bruce. And, and you know, your, your previous guest, uh, your first guest, uh, you know, he, he, he mentioned the fact that, you know, there's been, and there probably are still going to be a number of, of executives, senior executives that are going to take the, the same route I would say, though, that, you know, as in the case of, for example, pick and pay, um, you know, you, you can't. So, so the share jumped 14 percent today. It's down, I think, 20 odd percent uh, year to date. And I think it ended off up about sort of 10 yeah. percent. But ultimately, you know, 
you, you can't, just because somebody's been appointed doesn't mean you can immediately believe that the, 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 the company is now going to turn around. Because so what I, I posted on social media last night, sorry, David, I'm being very rude, yeah. but uh, it's again, you, you tee me up to these things. I posted <laughs> last night, would you rather bet a thousand bucks at two to one on the Springboks winning the Rugby World Cup or uh, put a thousand rand into pick and pay shares on a two year view? 65% yes. of people said, I'll take my chances on the Springboks. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would have been... I missed that post, but uh, I would have I would have been part of that sixty five percent Bruce, without a doubt. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then also in uh, today, a profit warning from Coronation. They're still fighting that massive tax battle with SARS. Of course, a disagreement on how they structure the international operations. But I remember when this was like when year after year, the best performing share on the JSE, and the only funds that didn't hold Coronation shares were Coronation funds because the guys yeah. sitting inside the business were going, we don't understand why this thing is so valuable. Sorry, I know mm. we're meant to be experts on this, yeah. but I think one fund owns some coronation shares. And they've really yeah. come, uh, you know, from an investment perspective, they're, 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 their funds are fine and everything else. But um, as, as a company to invest in, they've really come unstuck. Yes, Bruce. Um, you know, un- unfortunately, through the years, I mean, they, they, they got off to a great start. Uh, the performance was, was phenomenal in terms of their funds. Uh, they were some very smart fund managers. And, and ultimately, over time, you know, that you get something of a bell curve. And, uh, you know, over the last while, uh, as you say, they've got this, this tax issue with SARS uh, to an extent their performance. And, and uh, I think that most houses are, are probably not performing phenomenally well at the moment, given the circumstance. So, you know, you end up having an outflow of funds. Your profitability comes down. And, and remember, they had a very high dividend yield. Uh, so because ultimately they were pretty much paying out uh, pretty much all their profits. So from that perspective, in the current circumstance, uh, investors will go and look for companies where the, 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 the dividend is pretty certain. And, and unfortunately, this is the second time that we've seen, you know, negative numbers and, and negative comments from Coronation. And, and unfortunately, you know, that, that's going to continue for, for some time. David Peacock, thank you. Portfolio Manager at Sunlum Private Wealth. David Peacock, as we come up to half past six and Eyewitness News Time, brought to you by Khalix. Khalix for the businessman who knows what he wants. You're with Bruce Whitfield on 702. 702. The Money Show, brought to you by the APSA Africa Financial Markets Index, cultivating growth by providing a clearer understanding of the African markets. APSA is a registered FSP, welcome to the Money Show this evening. Uh, we have got a, a, a guy who created something fabulous. Every family should have one. Well, several, but at least one. We'll talk uh, to the guys at Fatsack in just a moment. Amazon, you know Amazon. Uh, everything from A to Z, great logo, which announced this week, of course, that its retail operations are going to be turning up in South Africa next year. It's in the United States anyway, trialing humanoid robots in its warehouses. Now, it claims it's doing this so it can free up employees to better deliver for customers. But it's the latest automation by a company that, in as much as it's a retailer, is a tech giant. It really is. It's data-driven and it is process-driven and it is efficiency-driven. And its warehouses, you'll find the videos on YouTube, are frighteningly automated and brilliantly automated. They've got a new robot. They called it Digit. It's got arms and legs. It can move, it can grab, it can handle items in a similar fashion to a human. 
and unions have been saying that uh, Amazon has been treating their workers like robots for years, but they do expect it to lead to job losses. I wonder if they'd get away with that here, I wonder. Well, now, every house needs beanbags, and of course, you can buy them on the side of the road, and they tend to be sort of plasticky, uh, fake leather feel. They tend to be filled with polystyrene pellets, which the moment you put them in the car, you then find polystyrene in every nook and cranny of your vehicle, take them home, and it's not long before they're molting all over your house. They then flatten to almost nothing through regular use. Then, about 15 years ago, I think, must be about 15 years ago, along came a company called Fatsack, a Cape Town-based company that made these giant, voluptuous, soft, corduroy-covered, comfortable, resilient, very importantly, non-leaky bags. That was the first thing that made me fall in love. Ryan Buddha is the MD of Fatsack. But now, Ryan, you've got to clarify something for me, please, first, because I'm a big fan, as you can hear, of Fatsack. And then I suddenly saw a product that looked like yours, that felt like yours, that behaved like yours, that looked incredibly similar to yours, but it had the name Fatsack. And I thought, hold on a second, somebody is taking the mickey here, What's going on? But there's a logic to what you have done with an alteration to the original brand name. Hi, good evening, Bruce. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for accommodating. Um, I haven't spoken to you in quite a lot of years. I think the last time was with Pablo Fertides many, many years ago. Long time ago. (laughs) Long time ago. Um, And yes, we've, we've grown up a hell of a lot since then. And uh, gosh, you describe it so well. I think you're actually missing missing. Uh, you, you could be in marketing quite quite easily. <laughs> um, I've got to like the stuff if I if I'm going you, to do that. And, yeah, and and you. But you no, also, that's really good. I, I might, mean, I, object objectively, I might steal it. You've objectively, you've just got to watch kids flop into these things and then try and get them out. Um, and I think you know that's the Correct. secret. That's really it. Getting in is the easy bit. Um, Especially as you get older, getting out is hell. Yes, I agree. Tell me about it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, the the name change. Actually, I mean, there's there's, there's quite a long story behind it. Um, It did start off as uh, Fatsak, F-A-T-S-A-K. And we did recently change to uh, a V-E-T-S-A-K. And it, it had to do with uh, a couple of German guys that, that I met many years ago. We started conversations around, I think it was around 20, 2012, somewhere around there, uh, just after the brand had really started working in, in South Africa. And they, they, they were keen on, on doing this sort of in Europe and, and the rest of the world. And at, at the time, I wasn't particularly interested in world domination. I thought South African business was just fine. Uh, so it took many, many years before, uh, I think around 2017, 2018, um, we actually decided to merge this together because the, the concept was starting to work in, in, in Europe. Um, unfortunately, there's another company in Europe called Fat Boy, and they didn't take too kindly to the ah. use of the name Fatsack. So we had to change the name to uh, well we had to change the name not to fatstack but they being a dutch company and the dutch word for fat being vet you can imagine just where that where the name came from so we ended up with fatstack with a vetsak uh, we did not do the best pr job it has to be said um, in 2020 2021 when covid started and business started absolutely booming in Europe, 
and we just merged the companies together. Um, all attention uh, went to to Europe, which is where 90, 95% of the business was happening. My and uh, the South African name change didn't get the PR that it was supposed yeah. to. Yeah. And I had some of my friends calling me saying, Somebody's stolen your idea. You what's happening? Somebody's <laughs> copying you. Correct. Exactly. Anyway, so it's one so well in the it's it's one and the same thing. Um, you continue, but you, now you are intent yes. on global domination. What what was the motivation? It is about fifteen years ago, isn't it? I mean, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen years ago, when you did start out, were you also just fed up with cleaning polystyrene off the floor? Um, no, uh, you know, we actually uh, I'd, I'd spent a lot of time in the UK um, and decided to move back to back to South Africa around two thousand five, two thousand six. And uh, we we brought something similar based back, and everybody liked it, but I just thought it was a bit rubbish. Um, it, mm. it it had terrible fabric, it had terrible foam, and I thought, you know what? Why, why don't we make this thing really, really nice? And I think there's a market. Um, back in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, I was uh, there. Not a lot of people believed that you should spend that kind of money on a beanbag, and it took a couple of years to convince people that it was actually quite a proposition. Um, but then, as you know, as soon as you sit in it, it's, it becomes fairly easy. A little bit like a Porsche. You, uh, as soon as you get in it, you, you also hard to buy one. Also hard to get out of. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> uh, love. And, and, and talk to me about sales, and talk to me about about distribution, and how this. It's a luxury good, um, as you say. It's at a, at a premium price point. How are you cracking markets? So um, Europe was actually fairly easy um, once 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 it, once once the concept had taken a hold because quite soon they moved into uh, sofas. Um, I saw uh, that. Realizing yeah. that uh, beanbags, yeah. Sofas, uh, yeah, bean, bean bags is just not the be all and end all that uh, we had to um, uh, vary the range and, and move into different markets. And the idea was to come up with a, a, a sofa which could be delivered in a box and didn't use it, was, it needed to be sustainable. It had to have uh, no wood, uh, no, no metal in it and be able to be delivered in a, a particular size box that uh, DHL could deliver uh, Europe-wide. And um, I'd love to say I was uh, uh, partly responsible for it. I, I helped design the feet, that's about all. <laughs> um, but they came up with the, a really genius product, which is now a modular sofa. And um, and at the time, it was, it was the beginning of COVID, and people were looking after their homes. So we had this springboard effect that uh, we have this fantastic sofa concept that arrives in a box and COVID and suddenly we had this massive growth in Europe. Now, and then interestingly enough, the sofa was brought over to, to, to South Africa about 18 months ago um, at the end of the COVID years, which made it a little bit more difficult. Um, and bizarrely enough, the sofa is now starting to take over that beanbag business. So we are slowly but surely becoming a sofa business. Where are you manufacturing? Where is the where is that all happening? So we the beanbags are still manufactured one hundred percent in 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 South Africa and Cape Town in Epping. Uh, we have factories there. Um, the sofa 
uh, is a little bit more technical and well we use we use automotive lines to make it so it's it's effectively the rear seat of a Porsche Cayenne is where the idea came from so we, we could approach the automotive manufacturers over here when we get when we get to the right volumes but there's some crucial parts which have to be imported at the moment and uh, so a good maybe 70% of the product is is currently imported soon to be maybe 50% by the end of next year and when we get to the correct volumes we'll we'll, we'll then be able to approach um, BMW Mercedes all of those guys up in, in PE and, and East London and see if we can uh, use their uh, production lines to produce the the EPP base I can't. I want to be in the room when you have that conversation. I really do. You know what we thought we were going to do? I know you make lots of cars, but you know what? We're going to make furniture. I want to see that, please. I would like just to be a fly on the wall. I won't say a word. I'll be invisible. Ryan, I'm delighted that um, that that Fetsack is still Fetsack, um, and that it you didn't Fetsack, and it's um, still uh, still precisely what it was. Thank you, Ryan, for chatting. And nice to catch up again. Ryan Buddha, managing director of Fetsack, used to be called Fetsack, and it's pronounced kind of the same way, even though it's spelled differently. Um, and uh, yes, it's our Friday file on this Friday evening. Coming up between seven and eight, as we always do. It is time for the best bits of the money show, including, uh, as always, uh, not as always, he's never guaranteed he's got to be good. But last night he was very, very good. Uh, Warren Ingram, of course, on personal finance. Uh, Brutal Biz quiz time first, though. 011-8830702. You can also, if you're in Cape Town and you don't want to phone all the way to Joburg because you think it's quicker to dial into Cape Town, 021-446-0567. Those are the mechanisms that we need you to use to come and play the Brutal Biz quiz. Sit is me. Oh, it's my producers, really, and me, uh, against you. And we like to win. And we win if you don't get the requisite number of questions correct. Now you ask, what is the requisite number of questions? Well, we take that, play, play that one by ear. But first question this evening, Noel Doyle is stepping down as chief executive of which JSE listed company. We spoke about it extensively this evening. Noel Doyle is stepping down as chief executive of which JSE listed company. It reminded me of a William Blake poem from the 1700s, which I have adapted because I found poetry more therapeutic today than markets. Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night or in the jungle of the JSE, more likely. But yes, Noel Doyle is stepping down as chief executive of which company? Give us a call this evening, 021-446-0567-011-883-0702. And come and join us to play the Brutal Biz Quiz. 702. Bruce is on The Money Show. Noel Doyle stepping down as chief executive of which JSE-listed company? Let's try Gugu first this evening. Gugu is... In Northgate. Hello, Gugu. Hi, hi, Bruce. Hi, um, how are you doing? Uh, I, I'm, all I, I'm wonderful, but I just need answers, Gugu. I need answers. Your I need answer, answers now. Your answers are you Tiger Brands, Bruce. Very Tiger good, Brands, Gugu. Yeah. Well done. Noel Doyle stepping down as chief executive of Tiger Brands. He's not been helped yeah. by the environment at all. Um, it's a really tough environment in which to work. Who is or which entity is the custodian of South Africa's gold and foreign exchange reserves? Okay, I mean, Busisiwa Nkwabani is very excited about her new job as an MP because she thinks uh, it's going to further her goal of nationalizing it. Kahiso in Kenton Park. Woo, 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 woo. Turn your radio down, please. 
no, no, no. Kakiso, turn your radio down, please. Thank you. Um, yes. where, where do we keep South Africa's gold and foreign exchange reserves? Um, isn't it the reserve bank? <laughs> it is the reserve bank. It is the reserve bank. And one of the reasons why politicians want to get their grubby little paws on uh, the reserves of South Africa is because they think it's going to be the answer to all of our ills. Go and spend the nation's backup plan. It never works. Which is the latest state-owned enterprise to go to government and say, could we have a bailout, please? Mm. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, Kajiso, thank you for trying. Two yeah. weeks ago, Chief Executive, Chief Financial Officer stepped down. Uh, then we saw the head of uh, the freight business of this organization step down. And today, two weeks later, um, the board is going, uh, yeah, we've got 130 billion rand in debt. And as you're going to be bailing out ESCOM and the post office and SAA and everybody else, we want to bail out too. Oh, my goodness gracious me. This I, I remember a guy who was very senior in one of the big tax practices and one of the big four audit firms. 15 years ago, just saying the thing that's going to come and haunt us one day is all of the debt that's been run up on the state-owned enterprise balance sheets. And he dared mention this to a finance minister at the time. It was deeply berated because the finance minister was saying, yeah, these are independent entities. How dare you suggest that it's ultimately government debt? Ah, it's going to come government debt. Actually, no, not government debt. Sorry. Your debt. Your problem. Which is the entity? Manta in... Rosebank. Hello, Mandra. Transnet. Transnet is the guilty party. Again, uh, when was the first ever rugby match between England and South Africa? Was it in 1899? Was it in 1906? Or was it in 1994? <laughs> uh, 1994. No, it wasn't, Mindler. But what you've done is you've eliminated one of the, you've eliminated, that's my new word. You've eliminated uh, one option. I said 1899. 1906 or 1994, when was the first game between England, rugby game between England and South Africa? Give us a call on 021-446-0567, and have a chance of becoming the whiz of the Brutal Biz Quiz. Try and outwit, outfox, and outplay the Money Show team. The Money Show. With Bruce Whitfield on 702. 702.